0: Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation on being Flawsome. Now, what's Flawsome, I hear you ask? Well, my guest on the podcast is Georgia Merch, and she told me that being Flawsome is not just making peace with your flaws, but knowing that without them, you wouldn't be you. I recently read Georgia's new book called Flawsome, and I love the tagline, the journey to being whole is learning to be holy. So I wanted to give her a call to find out how we as leaders can show up more authentically and more human by embracing those parts of ourselves that we try hard to avoid. I can all write it and we'll do it live.
1: 10, 9,
0: 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lift off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author, and mentor from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network, and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now, through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really, the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders joining me on the phone is Georgia merch and she is all about feedback she's actually become known as the leader in Australia for designing feedback cultures for teams and organizations she's also a keynote speaker and a best-selling author of two books in that space She's got over 25 years experience in the public and private sector, leading businesses and teams, designing cultures, facilitating leadership programs, and she's absolutely done the yards. She regularly appears on the Today Show, Sky Business, writes for The Australian, Huffington Post, The Age, and she absolutely loves a good old chat on the ABC radio as well. Over that time, she's realized that the foundation to relationships we have with each other is actually the one that we have with ourselves. And it starts with the feedback that we give to ourselves. It's an absolute privilege to have her on the phone for a conversation on Being flawsome, Georgia, welcome.
2: Awesome to be here, Shane. Thank you so
0: much for inviting me. Hi, I think you're one of the most clever people I know. I've known you for a couple of years. I follow your work. I love everything that you do. And I think you're an absolutely clever person. So I'm really excited about sharing your cleverness with the rest of the world. Um, Let's kick off with some fast facts. So three questions. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do with yourself now?
2: Okay, so is that the trick to remember the three questions? it
0: <laughs> is. that is. Some okay. people, we can jump each each one at a time. So we'll, <laughs> let's kick off with where were you born? Okay,
2: so where was I born? So I'm a Bayside chick, a Melbourne girl. So I was born in Melbourne City, but I've pretty much lived by the water the whole time. So I don't I don't know that I believe in star signs, but I'm definitely a Piscean, which is a water sign.
0: <laughs> first job? So first
2: job. Oh, so my first job in terms of earning cash was... Uh, like the paper rounds, getting up at 5am, like in winter, rain falling down, chucking newspapers into a driveway. But the job that I really loved when I was 15 was when I worked in a hairdressing salon and uh, it was a hairdressing salon that got to do quite a lot of competitions all around Australia. So I got to travel in a plane when I was 15 years old, staying around at amazing hotels, washing people's hair and making it look amazing.
0: What a dream for a 15 year old.
2: Oh, my goodness. It was so amazing. And everybody was older than me and they were drinking and I'm sure they were doing illicit things. And (laughs) I just thought... It was the mo- I
0: thought I was in a movie. I, I, I should go back and actually look at all the first jobs of the people that I've interviewed because I'm picking up a theme that a lot of people started in paper rounds, and um, so maybe okay. maybe this is the the progression of choice. If you start in paper rounds, you're <laughs> going to be successful when you get older, and you know that's that's just yeah some of the themes. And so tell tell people about what you do with yourself now. Uh,
2: so now, so now I kind of the last few years I've been uh, an expert in helping design feedback cultures. So how people connect and communicate with each other. And and also like how do teams work as one, how do organisations work as one. So I've got a background in corporate, but the last seven years, my expertise has been around that niche. Oh, I love it. So that's what I do work-wise, but life-wise, because they're all the same, right? Yeah. You know, I don't separate one or the other. I'm a yogi, I'm a foodie, I'm a, I'm a nature-loving walker. So. <laughs> Uh, so basically, kind of a Melbourneian. <laughs> I'm a Melbourne che- and and coffee.
0: Yep, They're definitely. Yep. If you're from Melbourne, it's it's a coffee. it's a coffee capital of the world, right?
2: Shows. Sure yep.
0: <laughs> now, congratulations on your new book, Flawsome. Um, How are you feeling about it?
2: Uh, of all, this is my third book, and this is the book that I am most thrilled about. This is the book that I feel like I've had in my bones for years, but I haven't known how to get it out. And it's the book that is not only sort of being transformational for me in my personal kind of life journey, uh, but I, I, I know, I know in my soul that it actually will help others really find their, their happy, their flawsome.
0: I love that. I remember it was maybe, I can't remember exactly how long ago, it was maybe a couple of years ago. I remember turning on the TV and actually seeing you on one of the Australian morning shows and you used the word flawsome. And I remember thinking at the time, that is such a cool word. It's such a a nice way of looking at things. So for people who haven't Heard of it before Don't know what it means They're hearing Flawsome And going Tell me a bit about What Flawsome's all about
2: So so yes I remember that TV shoot as well And it was actually One of It kind of just Fell out of my mouth And it was in that moment That I went There is gold in this mm. And for me The concept of Flawsome is really It's not just Making peace With your flaws The things that You're not amazing at Because we've all Got a light and dark Right We're good at stuff And we're not good At other things That's actually That's what makes us human but Flawsome goes beyond saying, okay, I know I'm not good at everything. Flawsome says that it's actually the flaws that make me who I am. And if I didn't have them, then I wouldn't be me. Mm. So it's, it's beyond, it's, it's making peace with that rather than feeling like you need to change all the time and you need to evolve all the time.
0: Yeah. And people would have this we, we do this constant wrestle and we, we talk a lot about vulnerability and we talk about shame and there's all these kind of things that people feel. And people might hear you talk about being flawsome and this idea of not just coming to peace with our flaws, but actually learning to embrace them. Now that seems like a bit of a leap for people who kind of struggle to embrace this. What do you think of the big problems people experience that uh, I guess separate them and cause them to stop from, I guess, jumping mm. in and embracing them and feeling like I need to keep my flaws at a distance from myself?
2: Well, the obvious answer would be shame. Mm. So they come from a deep place, but let's let's not go there so quickly. Mm. The the hypothesis that I had when I first started researching for them because I wanted to find out why people don't actually accept who they are. And it came about really, Shane, in the first place because I was running so many programs around um, giving feedback to each other and what I realised in that is that the feedback that we give to ourselves actually is the biggest barrier to how we talk to other people because mm. if we're tough on ourselves, we're tough on others. If we're a perfectionist on ourselves, we judge others in that perfection. And and so that's where I was like, this is really important. We've got to work on our self-stress before we start telling everybody else how they need to change and grow. Mm. So the But the hypothesis in that space after lots of conversations was that perfectionism is one of the things that gets in the way, our need to be perfect or our pursuit of perfection. But in actual fact, that's not the main reason. That means that we don't accept who we are. It's one of them, but it's not the main reason. But the thing that came out from the interviews that I did, hundreds of them, was this whole concept of should. Mm. I should have known, I should have done that, I should have thought that, I should have known that. And that then lends itself to you should have done this, you should Mm. have known that, you should have. And so we should all over ourselves. Yeah. And then we should all over everybody else. And that as soon as we live in obligation, a life of obligation, which is should, we no longer allow ourselves to be anymore. Mm. And we live in guilt and we live in shame and we live in all those spaces.
0: Yeah. Wow. And and where do you feel like a lot of these expectations that we set upon ourselves or the expectations that we put upon others, where do they come from? Money and daddy issues.
2: <laughs> well, let's be clear. So it's all nature and nurture. We can't blame mum and dad for everything. Mm. Uh, and but, but so this kind of yeah, too, it is the it's the nature of who you are, the DNA of who you are. So some people are wired a bit more fiery than others. Some people are wired a little bit more self-aware than others. it's, just, mm. it's, it's our natural self, but also our nurture experiences. Um, I love uh, so will Smith, who I just love following on social media. He's such a deep soul, will yeah. Smith. And he talks about um, there's a difference between um, fault and responsibility. Mm. And I love this. And he says, it's not your fault that bad things have happened to you, that you had bad parenting or you had bad life experiences or schooling or bullying or spiritual upbringings or whatever it may be. So it's not your fault that those things happened, but it is your responsibility to deal with them. Mm. And I think where our stuff comes from is where we stay trapped in blame of, you shouldn't have, and you know, if you weren't that, if you didn't do that, I wouldn't be this. And then we're trapped and we can't grow anymore. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. One of the other guests on the podcast that I was talking to um, was um, Tracy, um, who is um, in the US military. And he was talking about this concept of basic load, which is essentially this idea that when you enlist in the army, they give you all of these things that you might need for every condition that you would face. And he said what he had to learn over time is that when you go to certain environments, you don't need everything that they give you. And it's about knowing what do I need to get rid of and just mm. take what I need to be able to get me to where I'm going. And you t- touch on this idea of like we get given all these experiences and, and we, we kind of carry them around. It's going, actually, what do I need to like let go of in order to kind of step into uh, what I need to, to be what I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. It makes
2: a lot of sense. Thank goodness I didn't have to train in the army. man." <laughs> But, yeah, that is that, like, what, what what can we, you know, if we're like an onion, what can we peel back mm. that's actually going to um, to help us accept more the space that we're living in and, and who we are? But unless we actually start understanding how this is wired and the beliefs that we've told ourselves about our nature and nurture experiences, mm. we're still going to live this life and we're still going to have a life of obligation, a life of shoulding, on ourselves
0: and on others. Mm. And do you think like, again, these experiences that we have, um, you know, these expectations we put on ourselves, these expectations we put on others based on the environment that we are growing up in, the situations we find ourselves in, we carry all of this into it. Do you think it's that we are maybe unaware of some of these things that we go into situations and now we find ourselves, you know, dealing with conflict or we're dealing with these stories that we're telling ourselves, but potentially just being completely unaware of it?
2: Yes. So there, there's, there's a couple of spaces that I think in in my experience where we get trapped in evolving or trapped in learning or becoming more aware about ourselves. And the, the one that we've already mentioned is blame. Mm. So if you didn't speak to me like that, then I wouldn't have had to react like that. If you got that on time, then, you know, I wouldn't have had to do crappy work. So mm. that's... that's that's blame, and as soon as it's somebody else's fault, we don't need to accept the role that we played. Mm. And the other is denial. So I I had this um, beautiful boss when I was in my early 20s. I used to work at Morgan & Banks, which is this, you know, big fancy recruitment business in the the 90s, and uh, it was in the times of shoulder pads and perms, you know. I I just had this hair that kind of went around here, and I just thought – was amazing. And um, anyway, PJ was my boss at the time and he sat me down and he said, um, and we had a really good relationship, but he said to me, Murchie, I've got to give you some feedback. So uh, people love love having you, great thinker, but you have this tendency to go the opposite with when people make suggestions or uh, come up with ideas in meetings. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> And so I I was actually really, when he gave me that feedback, I was a little bit offended. Like, no, they're just wrong. Like I'm just sharing another perspective because they actually don't see things how they are. Mm. And what I realised over time with the gift of maturity and growing up is that I was in denial of that character trait. Mm. And when you're in denial of it, again, you can't create awareness, you can't grow, you can't evolve because... Nothing to own. So, so blame and denial are our the biggest things that hold us back from gathering more awareness about ourselves and the impact that we have on us, and therefore the ripple effect that we have on the people that we work with, live with, and do life with.
0: Mm. And I like that you talked about that the ripple effect of of uh, potentially a lack of self awareness around what uh, might be some of the stories we're telling ourselves actually affects those that we're interacting with. So if you're a leader of a team and you're telling yourself all these stories based on the nature or the nurture environment that you've kind of experienced, you can be essentially putting all of these expectations on other people and, and it can really impact a team, can't it?
2: Oh, massively. It's funny because in Shane, you would have interviewed heaps of people and I know like me, you're a massive reader. And we get all these books on leadership, you know, how to be a better leader, how to be a better person, you know, all that. and I love them and I've written some of them. But the the realisation that I'm continually having is that it's not being sent to Harvard for five days that's going to transform you. It's not, you know, going to Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team and understanding that inside out or doing situational leadership or mm. learning a new personality profile about yourself like they're all helpful but what they don't do is they give you a tool or a technique which is all about self-control so how do I and self-control is a good thing because you don't always want to bring how you feel and dump Mm -hmm. it on other people but that doesn't require self-evolving yeah And once you self-evolve, which is you become more patient with others, you become more compassionate towards different perspectives, you start not going the opposite anymore because you don't need to be right because you are more aware. You don't need to use as much self-control anymore because you're not living in that space of having to hold back anymore. You're living in a space of awareness which goes, I'm not perfect all the time. I say some silly things. I don't always think clearly. Um, sometimes I can start needing to be right, and that can become argumentative. Ah, I see I'm doing it. Okay, sorry, apologies. Let's mm. move on. It's a much more powerful place because then it also gives everybody else permission to be all those things as well than it is, you know, holding on to your table or your chair or breathing deeply or, you know, pausing because you need to do three minutes of meditation.
0: Mm. One of the conversations we had in in season one um, was with Dr. Karen Morley and she was talking about the idea of um, compliance and she said compliance is really a good motivator. And it's kind of what you're touching on here is this idea of, um, you know, self-control where we feel like we're being forced to comply or being forced to deal with in particular ways is really going to produce the kind of outcome and change that is really going to be long term and sustaining for people, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's. In, I'm talking about internal self-control, mm. but it's the same because it's compliance of self, right? Yeah. So, uh, and but it's a good start. Yeah, it's just going to be exhausting over time because, like any muscle that you overuse, it will fatigue. Mm. And so the whole flawsome space is getting to a, a space of, I suppose, high acceptance of self yeah. going, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I've done it again. Awesome. I'll take responsibility. I'll apologize if I need to. I won't self-flagellate. I won't self-punish and I'll be able to move forward. So all that energy that we spend telling ourselves we're imposters or the energy that we spend saying I'm I'm a failure rather than I failed, that's removed because mm. it's really unhelpful. And when we're like that, we dump our stuff on other people, whether we're aware of it or not.
0: Yeah. And this is the one of the, the big problems that we see in imposter syndrome, right? People who are in organizations and they they deal with these kind of feelings of shame or guilt or whatever we might call it that's attached to imposter syndrome. What do you think sitting below the surface of that, that overwhelming sense of feeling like an imposter? Are these some of the things like what sits underneath that? I
2: reckon you could answer that as well as I could. <laughs> but at a foundational level, it's that I'm not good enough. Mm. As soon as we believe that to be true, we've got this obsession in our culture of, Right and wrong, good mm. or bad, and, and, and of labeling things whether they've been successful or not. And I get that, you know, like uh, I'm corporate. I love corporate. Mm. I love businesses. I love teams. I love strategic planning. I love all of that. But I think we sometimes play too captain serious in that space. And just because we set a goal of there and we met it, doesn't mean we're successful. Or mm. did we miss out on the opportunity to actually set a different goal that could have gone us in a diff- different direction? And maybe we didn't launch the product that we wanted to, but we actually made more money than we thought we would. So mm. does that mean we're a failure? And I, so I think this obsession with right or wrong in work also falls on us.
1: Mm.
2: And because we've made up what success looks like in ourselves, in the world that we live in, we then rise and fall to what are we, we've made up in our head. Mm. And it's just an impossible, it's it, it's an impossible, um, uh, what's the word?
0: Yeah, I was going to say like this impossible benchmark that we set for ourselves or a benchmark. standard that we try to constantly feel like we're falling short of, right?
2: Yeah. And so no wonder we should all over ourselves. Mm. No wonder we, because we make ourselves a failure rather than it failed. Hmm. And and it's all these slight deviations that, if we're not aware of it, if we don't see the the thinking process that we do, if we don't see that we're making our um, our happiness or our awesomeness conditional, we're going to be trapped.
1: Mm.
2: And we tra- and and we also make it hard for everyone around us as well. So if you think that if you're one of those sort of A-type personality leaders, and I definitely was, um, some people might say I still am, but um, oh, here we go! I've even thought, forgotten the question how flawsome is that <laughs> and you're not allowed to cut this out I, won't I want cut you to keep, it in, keep it in because I want you to show that this is people doing it. I can't even remember what we're talking about now
0: <laughs> but Having a conversation about like what, what gets in the way or what, what causes a person to yeah. feel like they're not living up to that standard Yeah,
2: it's, it's all the stuff that we create but it's mm. created by what work gives us what life gives us what our friendships tell us and that's the kind of that's the nurture world that we live in but what if it's not
0: serving us? Yeah. Can we talk about what happened just for a moment? Because I will leave it in. Because a lot of people in in the conversation like this, they might hear an experience like that and they go, so you were answering a question, you didn't know, you kind of lost your place for a moment, and then you had a laugh, talked about it, and then moved on. And you're not sitting there beating yourself up over that experience. Like, Is this part of what being flawsome is all about? <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I wish we planned it. No, but that's perfect. We didn't. It is exactly that. So when I, I reckon maybe I, only three years ago, I would have been mortified mm. that that happened. In fact, I remember doing an interview with um, uh, Roland Dredge, one of our mates, yeah. and it was a podcast and I just wasn't on my game. I was just having a really bad day. And in the end, I asked him not to put it on air. Mm. And, and, and now... And now I wouldn't do that because we are, so does that make me, does that make me this a mistake or this ineffective now because of that? No, not Probably at all. not. It probably gives other people the opportunity to be human. And actual fact, it reminds me, have you heard of this concept called the Pratt Fall Effect? I,
0: I've, I've read about the concept in your book, but for people who have never yes. heard about it, yeah, let's talk about that.
2: So I love this. So the Pratt Fall Effect basically um, says that, People are drawn to um, your humanity and you making mistakes rather than you being perfect. Mm. And they did a whole lot of studies around, um, so, uh, like, somebody going to a, a doctor and So, And which doctor would they choose? And the doctor that in the first five minutes greeted them and spilt their coffee was the doctor that people chose compared to the doctor that was perfect and had the most amazing spiel and the guest looking perfect. Mm. And and that's what I'm learning. People are more drawn to not so much your flaws, but you being comfortable with who you are, than they're drawn to perfection. It's one of the reasons why we love Celeste Barber so much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who's made an absolute a uh, great brand reputation on taking the mickey out of perfect models and, and famous people. And she's just, you know, she's gone out of care. This mm. is me and we love her for that.
0: Do you think it's because, because again, it's not because that she's been able to take the mickey out of people who are, you know, perfect or, you know, or got everything together, but you touched on it there is that her ability to accept herself to mm. not be like that. Is that what, is that what we drawn to?
2: Well, you tell me, like from a self-acceptance perspective, wouldn't you rather be with somebody who's going, this is who I am, Mm. because then you have permission to be who you are too? Yeah. You're much more likely to want to be mentored, be led by, follow, and give time to somebody who sees all of you rather than the expectation of you being perfect.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I often will talk to people about this when we when we talk about storytelling and communication. We say, you know, people might be inspired, you know, by your victories, but really they connect through your battles, right? We, we, we might yeah. be inspired by the way people have overcome adversity, but when a person shares the intimate details of the journey and their battles and the challenges, we go, now I feel like I can connect with you. Now I can feel like you're just like me or, you know, in a a way, I feel like you're more human, right?
2: So, uh, three weeks ago, my dad died and, um, I could get emotional. So we'll go with that. Yeah. And, um, he was a larger than life character, like a mass, like big in stature, big in personality. And, um, and he died really like he was sick, but he died suddenly. So it was a really, really traumatic night. And I was kind of trapped in trauma for about a week. And then a week later, we had his funeral. And we did this big Zoom funeral. And, um, you know, how do you do someone justice? Mm. You know, but you try your best. and, and, And that was Tuesday night. And it was a Tuesday. And by that Tuesday night, I came home and I just lost my banana. So I, I just made these noises, Shane, that I, I think hippopotamuses would be scared of. Mm. But it was just my grief pouring out. And then on the Thursday, I had to run a half-day workshop for a new program that I hadn't run before with a new client that I hadn't worked before. And by Wednesday, I still hadn't even had the design of the program in my head. And normally, like I, you know, it, it started a week before, and I'm designing. It just, I just had nothing. Mm. So eventually, you know, I got up early on the Thursday morning and stuff started coming out, you know, out of my brain. And then I just thought, I need to tell people where I'm at in case I lose it. Mm. And so I just shared the last two weeks with them and I got upset and, and we ended up having this session where everyone went into rooms and just shared where they were at. And the content was good, but that piece was the piece that everybody resonated with, mm. and they went they went deep quickly, and they were dying to do it with each other, and they were dying to share where they were struggling, and they were dying to share the Me Too conversation with each other, and so I didn't do it. I did I did it initially because I thought I just I have to show up in all of me because I can't pretend. Mm. And then I, again, you know, even though I've written a book, had this realization, we actually really want to show where we're at with each other. And that's when we feel like we really see each other.
0: Hmm. I mean, thank you for sharing that story and and for something that's still relatively, really raw for you. And and I can hear it in the voice and the way the conversation's coming across. But I think what people will get when they hear that story is this, um, almost this sense of permission. And because a lot of people would feel that okay there is a version of me that exists in my life in my personal life and there's a version of me that exists in my work life and I know in your in the book you talk about you saw this some of these um, distinctions in the in the in when you were having conversations with people people would say well my work life should be my work life my home life should be mm-hmm. my home life and I shouldn't blend those two and what you're say- seeing here is like People actually, at the end of the day, we're all human and our ability to be able to bring these worlds together and share vulnerably and openly and honestly actually helps people to go deep quick.
2: Yeah, it does. It's, you know, it's, it's that whole, you know, whether you're an apple and you take your apple to work or you take your apple home, you're still an apple. Mm. It's what, what we do is we present ourselves differently. And I was so surprised that when I said to people, what's what's the one thing that gets in the way of you giving yourself permission to be human? And that was one of the questions in the research. It's what you're referring to. People were saying, well, what do you want, my work me or my home me? Mm. And I think when we start saying this is all of me, you don't need to delineate the difference anymore because who you are is who you are. The difference is what you choose to show up with.
0: What's the, I mean, if we were to imagine the value that you could bring as an employee to an organization, as a leader in an organization, having full permission to show up fully who you are and fully human, to be able to embrace all those kind of, um, you know, the flawsome bits of your life, like what's the value that that would bring to an organization?
2: Well, firstly, that sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? Really, it sounds really scary. Oh, God. Some of my bits, I don't know that I do want to share with everyone. So let me give it a, um, a, I suppose, a sense of the the why the foursome journey is valuable, and it's not, it's it, it's still a living a life that is aware of when you're helping or when you're hindering.
1: Mm.
2: So it, it is full of self responsibility. It is full of self awareness, and it means that you don't hide yourself anymore. Mm. So, but it means you take responsibility for when you're triggered. So if someone says something or does something, or you see um, some content, and you can feel yourself going into this fight or flight mode, you go one. That's my trigger. I take responsibility for that. I'm not mm. going to blame. I'm not going to deny. I'm going to own that. The second piece of fully showing up flawsome is being able to have the courage to reconcile what's true and what's not true
1: mm.
2: when things do happen and throw you into those stress responses. So, is it that they don't respect me and that's why they're doing it? Is it that um, I don't suffer fools and that's why? Like, is this stuff that you're telling yourself true and are you brave enough to go, whoa, I could be wrong?
0: That's or a big one. I, that's a big right? one, right? The 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 <laughs> courage to say that there's a potential here that what I believe to be true may not be true.
2: Yes, yeah, that's lawson. So, And when you can start doing that, you live in this space of transformation where you pick the pain of growth rather than the pain of staying the same. Mm. You have a choice. You want to be brave enough and have your ego, you know, like where you're not right and you do go, hey, that's a – someone asks you, your team asks you this question around how are we going to manage the next, next six months in the future with this uncertainty? And you say, do you know what? I don't know. Mm. Let's work it out together. So that's putting your ego to the side. That's being real. So that's Lawson showing up exactly where you're at, but taking responsibility for the impact that that has on other people.
0: Mm. So you're talking through these things. So this is the foursome journey, right? Which is being aware of your triggers which is being able to pinpoint, okay, where are some of the what's being said here that might be causing me to physiologically react in a particular way, internally start to tell myself particular stories. And do you reckon, I mean, you talk a lot about in the book, the awareness is the big piece around triggers, right? Like being mm-hmm. being conscious of what some of those things, how could you be, I guess, more conscious of your triggers?
2: Oh, I think it's a little bit of doing, so one, you've got to see when you've had these reactions, so you can start seeing your fight or flight responses start, you know, uh, coming in. You can see yourself blaming, blaming mm. yourself or blaming others, or you can hear some of the language in yourself where you're going, well, that's not true. Yeah, the
1: and, denial. And you're not
2: prepared to, yeah, the denial, you know, and prepared to look into it. So, and and you can do, you know, we do this with lots of leaders around, you know, like actually let me ask you now. You ready?
0: I'm not ready, but, but let's do it. <laughs>
2: okay, we're going to do it. So think of a couple of people in your world that trigger you. And don't tell me their names because this is going to go to air and yes. you've got to probably have relationships with them. So a couple of people that you just go, mm, I need to come on my farm before I see them or before their name comes up mm. on the phone or, you know. You've got a couple of people yeah, in mind? I do. Yep. Yeah, Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that came too quickly. That's the problem.
2: No, so what, why is it a problem? Doesn't it mean you're more self-aware?
0: It does mean you're more self-aware. So yes. you've
2: already made, already tried to make yourself right or wrong. Yeah. Um. I, I just think this has got. You've got a little bit of gold to play with here now. You've got a little something to learn from because you've got two people. You go. Yep. I'm taking responsibility that I get triggered, but yeah. the triggers aren't necessarily the person. Yeah. The, the triggers can be a whole variety of things. It could be what they tell you. You disagree with. So you have a content trigger but you, that you think it's the person. It could be that you have a high, an injustice trigger and the decisions that they make or the things that they do really feel unfair. You know, it could be that you have an identity trigger. So if they speak into your world and it crushes your sense of self, that triggers you. So because they don't speak to who you are. Like there's a whole variety of mm. them. But until you're prepared to sit down and do that assessment of is it the person or is it my staff, that that's part of the part of the process of recognizing it, and I think when you start owning that you do get triggered, that's when you can actually do some really cool stuff because it it starts with us.
0: And this is I can already feel my brain going straight down the path of asking myself, what's the truth that I'm holding here, and is it a helpful truth that I need to be holding? And then if it's not, what could I do to change? And this actually helps me become better. This helps me to lead better. To Ultimately, and this is, the, this is the power of embracing the flaws, right? This is not just accepting that that it's sitting over there and I'm just going to accept that that's part of me going, well, actually, how could I become more aware of that, hold it a little bit loosely and go, how, well, what needs to change here and how can I evolve and how can I transform as a result of this? So that is actually getting better in the process.
2: Yeah, completely. And just be okay with it. We've all got triggers. Here who we are.
0: And this is the, you you t- you have this phrase, which I absolutely loved and highlighted in the book. It's, this is not just about high performance, but about high acceptance.
2: So we've got this obsession at the moment around creating high performance teams, mm. you know, the, the leanest, the best, the smartest, you know, doing amazing things. And I love it. I'm all for a high performance team. I reckon I've got one, so I'm all for it. Mm. But there's lots of ways to get to high performance. Yeah, it's hiring the right people. Yes, it's, Having great strategic plans, yes, it's holding ourselves to account. Yes, it's you know being risk takers and innovative, and it's all of those things. But what if there's another way? Mm. And I think they all count. But what if one of the things, and we look at one of the main reasons around why teams aren't high performance is they they have a poor relationship to conflict. Mm. So give me one team that's high performing. No, give me a team that's not high performing, and I'll tell you, you have a conflict issue. Mm. So it's, you know, it's how they disagree and they don't disagree well. They either hide from it or they run towards it too vigorously. And when we're not accepting of ourselves, we either create conflict with others through blame, denial, finger pointing. Mm. Yeah, but you, but you, or we create a conflict in ourselves by not using our voice and speaking up. Mm. And when you've got conflict in teams, are uh, internalised or externalised, you will never have high performance. So once we work out our internal wiring and actually show up as we are, and have you know the platfall effect where people are drawn to us because of our humanity, not because we hide it. Mm. Then we can have really cool discussions. We can disagree well. We can take risks because it's not we a failure. The idea was the failure. We can show up properly. We can meet people where they're at. So that's when we actually can have amazing growth. So this isn't just like a, oh, I love your warm and fuzzy concept, Georgia. You know, I'm an ex-accountant, so I want to make sure that stuff that we do matters. And if we want leadership programs and we want to do leadership work that matters, a framework's good, but working on yourself so that it permeates into creating high-performance teams, I reckon, is much more long-term sustaining than having a really good concept that you run with.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the, kind, of, kind of loops back to that idea of it's either internal compliance or self-control or internal transformation that permeates through everything that we do. And I, I definitely know which of those two I would, I would much rather uh, as a leader. Georgia Merch, this has been a a phenomenal conversation and I feel like we're just scratching the surface of some of the things that I've been reading through in Flawsome, which is just such a great book. And so I definitely encourage everyone to get a hold of a copy of that. But what's the best way for people to connect with you? Because there's obviously so much that you do in helping organizations around feedback cultures and and everything we've talked about here. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Well,
2: they can jump on my website, georgiamerch.com, where we also have lots of events. So we run lots of free events on some of Concepts to see whether they're going to work for you personally or for your teams. But stalk me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facey, love a good social media stalk. And uh, you, you'll definitely get a sense of, and I write blogs on this stuff all the time too. So if you, you enjoyed this rant, you'll enjoy some of the weekly ones on your inbox as
0: well. I've absolutely loved our conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. And and I, again, I'll put links to your um, bio and to your website in the show notes so people can reach out and connect with you. But a huge thank you.
2: Uh, thank you. I love getting the opportunity to get this message out. And I always love seeing your
0: head. So thanks for having me, Shane. <laughs> thanks, GG. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.